In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope. Bring your pole, oil, and rope. And try not to go down in a heap. Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 12 of Down in a Heap podcast. I'm your host Rob, podcasting to you live from beautiful northeast Minneapolis. And my gaming group lately has started been facing a few setbacks as far as absences and stuff. Life is getting in the way, illnesses, work, out of town um, obligations and things. And uh, yeah, that's kind of causing a little bit of a lack of gaming, especially in the Whispered Tales of Gore setting. Um, but we do try and still make our best effort to get together and do something with even a few people if possible. So, I don't know, I was, I've was i been thinking, what does everyone else do when they've got a regular, say, weekly gaming group and it's five or six people and two or three of them can't make it? Do you still try and get together? Do you um, have a side campaign kind of thing? Um, so, as I've alluded to, we have a couple of campaigns rolling right now um, in the in the little group I get together with uh, on Thursdays and Sundays, alternating. And the 5e campaign has been on hold for a while. John has not been able to make it for quite some time. Um, and Keith and I alternate running the Whispered Tales of Gore. Oops, sorry, Whispered Tales of Gore. Um, but last week we got together on Friday instead of Thursday because so many people were unavailable on, on Thursday. And the plan was for Keith to run, uh, and in that campaign setting, there's a, he's running a mega dungeon. Um, I think it's from the Fight On magazine, um, and it's a it's kind of the tent pole of the the campaign. When I run, I kind of do a mishmash of different things, uh, hex crawls and little one off kind of things. But uh, but Keith unfortunately forgot to bring the dungeon with him so we were sitting there with uh, four of us and nothing really to play and I had brought with a couple of rules light games that I've been meaning to try um, so we ended up playing one of those and I'll get to that as the main topic but the other things we've talked about doing aside from just playing a board game or something is having a kind of tangential uh, side campaign to the main campaign. So maybe in a different part of the campaign world, or even one in fairly close proximity, but one that does, uh, an area that doesn't really get used by the main group of players and, or PCs. And so I floated the idea of, hey, maybe we could, uh, have a little bit of an urban adventure kind of city campaign in the biggest city that's nearby that that our regular party hasn't visited and we could uh kind of touching on my thieves guild episode a while ago maybe it could even be revolving around a couple of uh thief characters and 
And the beauty of that kind of thing is it could be a kind of a rolling group of PCs. Whoever shows up is is who plays, and you just kind of have an episodic kind of thing where um, the session needs to, or the the theme, the adventure of the session needs to end um, with that session. So the next time you have to roll that this uh, tangential game out, it you can just pick up pick up and play with whoever shows up, and you could have really any variety of characters involved it doesn't need to be focused on one class but for an urban setting like I was thinking of um, it seems like it'd be pretty cool to have some thief characters and, and their antics and the other thing it could do is provide alternate characters that you could easily inject into the main game if someone had their main PC die so if you lose your second or third third level character, you could just play your your alternate here, and they they kind of show up and and take that person's place, that character's place, and maybe you aren't starting completely over. But what we did end up doing, because I hadn't prepped anything for this potential tangential game, is played one of the rules light games I brought with me. So let's go to that. I've been intrigued by the idea of these rules light games that have been coming out for some time now and in the last especially last year <clears throat> I bought quite a few um, through drive through um, rpg.com and um, I've been meaning to try some of them trying trying to get some of my players to um, play them but for the most part most people seem to just want to focus on playing our usual D&D campaign or Savage Worlds campaign or whatever and, and don't really want to veer much from that. So the opportunity hasn't really rose to to try and try and use uh, one of these rules light systems. But like I said, the, um, the other night we had a smaller group, so... So the what I'm talking about here, some of the rules light games I've I've bought are like the Black Hack uh, by David Black, the um, Sharp Swords and Sinister Spells by Diogo Noego, I think is I'm sorry if I'm butchering that name. Um, Into the Odd by Chris McDowell, um, Maze Rats by Ben Milton, and. Just recently um, heard through Jason Hobbs, G+, and then saw again, or heard um, Ray Otis on Plundergrounds talking about uh, Into the Light of a Ghost Star. And all these things are, are look really interesting. They're usually pretty evocative kind of settings, and I'm intrigued by the idea of how stripped down a role-playing game can get and still be interesting and still have replayability value and maybe even still have, you know, character advancement and and all that. And how much do you really need to, to play the game? So 
we wound up playing Into the Odd last Friday. I ran the game, um, and Into the Odd, uh, I don't know when it came out. It's been out for a while, and I know Chris McDowell is uh, working on an updated edition of it called Bastion Land, or Electric, uh, I don't know, it's something Electric something, Bastion Land. Anyway, um, but I'm playing with just the the initial booklet that he came out with that I bought on DriveThruRPG. It's a soft, um, perfect bound is that the glued uh, format, um, print-on-demand, um, Lost Pages is the name of the publisher. Um, it's 40 pages, oh no, I'm sorry, 48 pages um, in a like a digest size. Uh, the artwork on the front is really pretty evocative. It uh, has a kind of a silhouette of a above ground and below ground setting um, that works the the name of the title of the game into the into the design and it's in black and red and gray um, and the interior art there's just a few pictures here and there um, they they all are pretty good there's actually one photo that or not photo one uh one drawing of some guy sitting in a chair in some clubby or library looking like atmosphere and these um just has like a round void globe on for a head and seems to have like barnacles or suction cups on parts of his legs and chest and stuff and yeah that's pretty odd so it and the setting itself is is pretty evocative i'm not sure if you'd call it uh steampunk or post-apocalyptic or what it's kind of maybe a, a combination of the two and the i mean there is kind of like magic or weird science and that's the the primary goal of the characters is to acquire these arcanum as he calls them um or Ar- arcana i'm sorry arcana uh which are devices that give your character or the wielder of these arcana different powers and capabilities and he has them categorized into three classes which i'll get to eventually but uh but there is, there are things like guns and bombs and um, seems like some kind of steam thing. And in the new edition, Bastion Land, um, I think it's the premise is that electricity comes to the, the main city, this metropolis um, called Bastion, which is, I think, what most games revolve around are, are adventures within that city and below it um, in, in the immediate vicinity but it's an incredibly rules light game. The, the the game itself is the the system mechanic is primarily a roll under mechanic. So you're trying to you're rolling a d twenty, and trying to roll equal to or below your whatever characteristic the the GM indicates applies uh, for success. Uh, you have three attributes: strength, dexterity, and willpower. And you do have hit points. You start with one to six. Um, and it's a really nifty little system where you have a, your 
your attribute and your hit points are on different axes on a chart, and you cross-reference your highest attribute with your hit points, and that gives you a starting package uh, of gear, and it could be even uh, an arcana, um, or it could it can have just a one phrase or uh, um, adjective or something that just tells you that you have some supernatural capability, which usually is present with characters that have really low characteristics, or some uh, debilitating condition, which is what often happens with people with really high characteristics, so it's a little bit of a balancing act there. So you could have something like sense nearby arcana as a as a capability. Uh, you could have dreams show your undiscovered surroundings. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, you could be disfigured or illiterate or have one arm or mute. But you can make, make up a character in no time. In fact, why don't I do it right here? You're all 3D6 in order. So I have a strength. Oh, holy crap. I have a strength of 16. Um, and a dexterity of 11. And a willpower of 14. Wow, I never roll this good. Um, so you roll those characteristics and then you have the opportunity to exchange one score for another. So you could, I could move my, I could swap my dexterity for my willpower, for instance, but I'm just going to roll with what I've got here. And then you roll a 1d6 to, to figure out how many hit points you have. And, oh my God, I got a six again. That's crazy. All right, so, um, so my character has a 16 strength, an 11 dexterity, and a 14 willpower, and six hit points to start out with. So I go to the handy-dandy table. My highest characteristic is a 16. I have six hit points. I start out with a pistol that does D6 damage, a bomb, and let's see, in the, in the facing page, it has a description of the equipment and stuff. A bomb does a D12 damage, and it inflicts damage to all within the blast radius. Um, I have a shovel, but I also have glowing eyes. And that's all it says. It doesn't say that these glowing eyes give me any kind of special capabilities like night vision or something. I think it's meant to be more of a hindrance. So, um, and the, I mean, it's, it's probably not a completely like oddball kind of thing. Um, there's, you know, a lot of crazy characters running around in this setting. So, but it would be an easy way to identify me, um, hey, the guy with glowing eyes just came in and robbed me. Um, or find the guy with glowing eyes. He has this arcana and, you know, hunt him down. So it would be a little bit hard to to mask that, fe that feature and it might freak some people out and stuff. Um, uh, the author also recommends that for smaller groups, each player may create one or more companions and you roll their ability scores in order as above. Uh, and they start with one hit point in the sword. So easy peasy. So yeah, would I make up a character with commentary in about, you know, five minutes, if that. 
Um, one of the interesting things about this game is that rather than like a, most role-playing games where you're rolling uh, a d20 to hit or trying to roll under your percentage with a weapon or something to hit, in this game you just automatically cause damage to any, any foe you can reach with your weapon. So within reach with a melee weapon, within range with a ranged weapon, and you do the dice of damage to them. Um, according to what weapon you're using, that's deducted from that creature's hit points. And if there's any surplus damage, if hit points reach zero, anything that's still remaining is applied to the creature's strength and reduces the creature's strength by the, by the remainder. And then if you're uh, hit again with no hit points, all that total just goes directly to strength. And so when you take strength loss as a result of damage, you have the chance of taking critical damage. And that comes into being if you make a strength check, a strength save, and fail it. So let's say my character with his six hit points and... 16 strength is um, someone shoots him with uh, a heavy gun, which is like an elephant gun or something, or a long rifle, and that does a D10 damage. And let's say I, I get really unlucky and I take 10 points of damage. Okay, all my, my six hit points are gone. The four remaining are deducted from my strength, so my strength would temporarily go from a 16 to a 12. And I'd have to roll a d20 and try and get 12 or below, or else I suffer critical damage, and which means I go down in a heap. And I'm not dead, but I'm incapacitated. I might be just stunned and bleeding out. Um, I might be unconscious. However, the you know GM really wants to rule it. Um, if I made that roll, I could still keep fighting. My strength is reduced, so I'm not, and I have no hit points, so I'm not nearly as capable of, you know, continuing on in fights, but, uh, but I could keep going. And some monsters um, have special attacks that if you suffer critical damage, you have some debilitating effect or something goes into effect as a result of that attack. Um... And the other attributes can be affected by different things, too. So you could lose willpower and some kind of psychic damage or something. Or you could lose... Maybe a monster has some kind of paralyzing influence and that impacts your dexterity or some kind of freezing damage or something might impact your dexterity and your ability to just move and react and things like that. So that's an interesting way to conduct combat. And it played out in the game session... Um, pretty quickly it showed that everyone that that combat is dangerous and and you can quickly go down and sure you can in, in regular D&D too but you know if you're mixing it up with someone you're going to take damage um, so it, it combat's resolved really quickly in the game session we played 
Um, it also says something about the hit points. Um, because you're just automatically taking damage and you have this hit point buffer beyond your when you start taking strength point loss, that really dis displays and puts on under a spotlight that hit points aren't anything about actually taking bodily physical harm. It's more like your fighting capabilities, your ability to avoid damage, your luck and grit, and maybe morale, maybe uh, maybe has something to do with that too. Um, because hit points are recovered very quickly. After a, after a short rest, a few minutes of rest, and a swig of water recovers all the character's lost hit points. But in order to recover lost attribute points, you have to take a full rest, and a full rest requires a rest a week of uh, rest and relaxation at a comfortable location. And that will restore all ability scores and cure any other ailments. So you can recover your lost hit points quickly, but there's an attrition effect where you're, if you keep going and your strength keeps getting lower and lower and lower, eventually you're going to go down. And if you... If your strength reaches zero, you're dead. Um, and you can uh, you can also, if you're, I think if your will power reaches zero, you're just kind of um, mentally broken. Um, if your dexterity is reduced to zero, you're paralyzed and cannot move. So um, any one of those things, you're basically out of action and can't act until you have a full rest. Uh, he does have, the author does have um, rules for reaction and morale, and that basically revolves around making a willpower check to try and um, uh, control the situation, like in a reaction kind of situation, or foes would need to make a, a will check to avoid being routed. And he says that comes when they lose half of their total numbers. Um, you can use the leader's will save in place of the uh, followers if you have a group of people. Uh, low, lone combatants must pass the save when they are at reduced to zero hit points. So when, they, when they're on the verge of taking bodily harm or have taken bodily harm, your... Uh, they're going to be making morale checks and stuff. So I, I like that. That that all um, tickles my uh, old school sensibilities. Uh, character advancement you're, is basically just um, you have level titles, and rather than having experience points, it's just on how many expeditions you take. So you start out as a novice, you're ready to go on an expedition. Uh, you become a professional when you have survived at least one expedition. You become an expert when you have survived at least three dangerous expeditions since reaching professional. So four total expeditions. A veteran, you have survived at least five expeditions since reaching expert level and have taken on an apprentice. So it's, in, it's saying that it's kind of a, a world-building kind of thing where you're needing to have an apprentice to, uh, to advance any further. And it goes further. To become a master, you have to have an apprentice of at least expert level and have survived a dangerous expedition with them since reaching the veteran level. So 
I, I kind of like how that works. And so every time you go up and level, you get another D6 of hit points. And you can roll a D20 against all your at ability scores. And if the roll is higher than the score, it's increased by one point. So if I if this character I rolled up um, becomes a professional, I'd roll another D6, add it to my hit point total. I'd roll a D20 versus each ability score. If the result in the die is higher than the current attribute, I'd add one to it. So pretty simple stuff, but effective. There's uh, also a section on enterprise and war, so, and it's just a one-page um, detailing various how you can have various organizations and detachments of uh, of soldiers that you're under your command, and it's it's rather compelling how it does this. I, I it seems like it would work quite well, and I'm I'm interested to see how this how this would work. Um, you have uh, enterprises that create income each month but they also face threats that will cost you money so you could conceivably be making money or losing money from some enterprise that you start and the the enterprise becomes as it goes gets larger and larger if it continues to make profits the die that you roll to see how much profit or threat of loss goes up so you can become wealthier and wealthier as a result of these enterprises that you start or have the chance of losing more and more. Um, and then uh, for the larger scale thing, you can uh, recruit detachments of troops and it has you know, rules for, for that as well. It's, yeah... I mean, it's just a few paragraphs, but and some examples of sample leaders and and organizations, but it's it's really compelling stuff. Like all of this is, um, and then so the arcana is divided up into three categories. Uh, the first is the the most minor of them, and they are described as powers you cannot understand. Arcana are the most highly sought-after items in the world. Characters that are open about the arcana they carry will find themselves the target of collectors, thieves, and con artists. Um, and there's 20 here. They're numbered. So the, this is the stuff that if you if you rolled a character that had an arcana as, a start, as part of his starting gear, you'd roll on this table. So let's just roll and see what, what comes up. 12. The Tyrant's Rod. You may order a target to drop, fall, flee, or halt unless they pass a will save. So that's pretty interesting. It doesn't give you any more than that. So you could describe or have the player describe what this tyrant's rod looks like or um, how it's activated. And it just gives you the power that it has. Very simple. And that's how all these these uh, devices are it's just a phrase or two a sentence or two or about them very simple and this is really if you want to say 
Into the Odd has a magic system. That's what this is. The characters themselves don't have any magical powers or capabilities. Everyone, at least in the, the core booklet, is assumed to be a human. Um, so you don't have any any special racial traits or anything. It's all about the arcana and gear that you possess. That's what, and then, you know, you can have some slight improvements as I outlined. Uh, The other arcana, the next step up is powers that you can barely control. So you go from powers you cannot understand to powers you can barely control. And then the last is powers you shouldn't control. Um, Very evocative stuff. He has a uh, about a two and a half page example of play, which is I think well done. It's not. It's not the usual. Well, I shouldn't say usual, but often you get kind of a a real. I don't know, either talking down to or insipid kind of example of play, and and this is I I think is well done. He has a one page. Uh, on. Advice for running the game, understanding saving throws, understanding ability scores, understanding the rest, so how how the various game mechanics work, understanding good refereeing, and that's just uh, one page. Um, the next page is about encounters, how do you bring the world to life. Um, the next page is monsters, how do you know what an odd world monster looks like. Well, he gives you an example here of one, two, three, seven creatures. And they're all unique. There's no, like, orc here. There's no um, skeleton or something like that. It would be very easy to just make up something like that if, I mean, I don't think an orc really belongs, but, you know, some kind of mutant or something certainly would. And there's a page on treasure and um, discovering new arcana and, you know, examples of what you could do to make new arcana. Um, A page on traps, obstacles, and hazards. So how you can threaten characters with all these things. Um, And gives a few examples of, uh, of different appropriately odd trap varieties or or strange things. And then uh, he has one page on the odd world. So he describes the city of Bastion and its underground, and beyond that is the deep country and other cities, and beyond civilization are the golden lands and the polar ocean. And all these things just have one paragraph to describe them, but it's all, as I keep saying this, evocative at all paints a picture of this odd world that is intriguing. It's very interesting stuff. And then he has, uh, Chris McDowell's put together a small dungeon crawl adventure and a corresponding small hex crawl that you'd go through to get to it. Um, all really good stuff. I didn't run this for, for my group uh, instead, I ran um, something right off the top of my head, just a kind of a heist caper with um, um, a little dungeon below it that goes into the underground. And that came out of um, 
the free uh, attachment you can get called the Odd Pendium, and that's has all kinds of different tables, mostly D100 tables to flesh out settings or to provide a, a random answer to something like, what's that island? And he has a D100 table with um, the first time you roll is a landmark, and the second roll is gives you a twist on on the island. There's several adventures in the Odd Pendium. There's a uh, a couple pages on strange life and mutants, and it's just a great uh, a great set of of tables and stuff. There's I pushed the flashing red button. You roll a T hundred to see what happens. Uh, is this thing an Arcanum? And you roll to see the form it has, and is it an Arcana? Uh, and what power it might have? Um, he has a couple uh, like NPCs fleshed out in here, all very kind of Dickensian in feel, um, and describes a few quarters of or a quarter of the. Uh, the Bast of the city of Bastion called Mercy, which is Bastion's forgotten quarter, um, and then some optional rules for suffering injuries. And so, if you want to have uh, have more detail to the the various setbacks you have in combat and other areas, and so th that's uh, fleshing out the last few pages of the uh, of the core book is called the Odpendium, and that has a bunch of tables with um, random name generators. Again, has a very kind of UK Dickensian weird kind of quality to the, to the names. Uh, there's a, a, a surname and, and a first name. Um, a list of potential occupations and manners for and capabilities for uh, Bastion's cast of thousands, all the NPCs you can run, run across. Um, what's the street like? The quickest route across town is Bastion's greatest businesses. Insane council decisions by the by the High Council of of Bastion. Weird creature creature inspiration, um, which you can one die roll determine its nature. Let's just figure out like a, a weird creature inspiration. 24 is liquid metal. And the form is 91. An octopus, so a liquid metal octopus. Interesting. Do another one. 87. The nature is damp clay. And the form is a cube. So some kind of like clay gelatinous cube um and oh so there's a twist so let's see our liquid metal octopus the twist on it is it turns victims into non-living matter wow and our our uh damp clay cube it can teleport itself crazy stuff um there's also a table for what's beyond the darkness so just like what hazard may lie in the darkness um spoils and hazards it's uh 
it's all just kind of imagination prompts and which is what I love about good random tables. So, um, another podcast, uh, the smart party, uh, did a big in-depth review on Into the Odd, and I think they even have a little bit of a, an actual play. Um, I think Ben Milton also did a, a review on his uh, Questing Beast channel of Into the Odd, if you want to see more about that. But I'd, I'd highly recommend this. I, we had a good time playing it. I was not prepped at all. I hadn't read the rules in a month or more. Not that there's much to digest. I, It was great. We, we rolled up characters. I explained the rules. That all took about 15 minutes. Um, described, I read that page about the uh, describing the odd world, so they all kind of had a little bit of a, a tether to what I was talking about and the, the feel of the game and stuff, and we just took off. And um, we played maybe like three or four hours, and I felt like we accomplished more than we often do in our our bx or or especially savage worlds well the monday night group is a much bigger group so that usually have a lot more analysis paralysis with so many people at the table but um anyway i'd I'd highly recommend this i'm looking forward to playing it again or trying some of these other rules light systems so hey if you've played into the odd before drop me a line let me know what you think um if you have thoughts on on rules light other rules lights games or recommendations um also drop me a line on using the anchor app or you can contact me at uh, bigbelboni at gmail.com sorry this has gotten to be kind of a lengthy episode but uh, yeah in the meantime thanks for listening and don't go go down in a heap <laughs>